continuing in our series of the book of Matthew. And we're in uh, chapter 23, verses, I'm going to look at 5 through 12 today. We've been talking about Pharisees and hypocrites as we've been going through Matthew chapter 23. Uh, Jesus is basically doing a long uh, sermon or a message on the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Uh, Jesus calls the Pharisees hypocrites uh, four times in this passage, and that's kind of what we focused on on last week about trying to work the, the Pharisee and the hypocrite out of our lives, because uh, all of us are hypocritical in, uh, in some ways. And today we're going to focus on uh, spiritual pride. This was another uh, thing that the Pharisees struggled with and what Jesus brings up in our text today, uh, that the Pharisees were people who were very spiritually proud. That is, uh, they loved to do their uh, righteous acts in front of people so that people might be impressed with them. Uh, they love to have great and mighty titles. They, in essence, receive a lot of their identity from looking, from uh, being impressive and looking impressive and having people say, ooh and ah, you, you are amazing. And as we talked about last week, a Pharisee really is someone who, instead of getting their life from God, gets their life from their rules, from their religion, from looking down on others and feeling superior. And so we challenge ourselves that we need to always be focusing on Jesus, because when we get to put, uh, begin to put our attention on what others are doing or not doing, and we begin to become proud of what we're doing and how much better we're serving, that is when we fall in, in, into the trap of becoming a Pharisee. And remember the road that we talked about. This is how usually people end up as Pharisees, because, I mean... We can be very blind in this sometimes. I mean, the Pharisees, again, thought they were the ones who were really living for God. The people, uh, the common people, if you ask them, you know, who is living for God the most? They would have said, it's the Pharisees. They're doing the best job at living for God. Yet Jesus, as we saw last week, is standing right in front of the Pharisees, and they miss the very heart of God. I mean, Jesus is God in the flesh, and they wanted to kill him. I mean, that's how deceived these people were, that they thought they were so in love with God. They thought they were doing so much for God, yet they were going to kill Jesus. And that's why Jesus, over and over again in this passage, just calls them blind. And at times, we can become blind. And often, we become Pharisees just because we're passionate for our faith. When we meet Jesus, we're in love with Jesus, we're so thrilled to meet Jesus, we begin serving Jesus, we begin reading our Bible and praying, and we're so happy to be transformed, and we're so excited to serve Him, and we go out and we're just giving our all for God, but there becomes this tendency that sometimes we begin to notice those who are lagging behind, those who aren't quite serving the way I'm serving, those who aren't quite reading their Bibles and praying the way I am, and all of a sudden your attention, instead of being on God, begins to focus on what others aren't doing or what they are doing or what they should be doing and how much better I am, and all of a sudden you become a Pharisee. So we need to always make sure we are fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now, what is spiritual pride? I think uh, Jonathan Edwards, the famous preacher about 250 years ago, said it well. He said, the first and worst cause of errors that abound in our day and age is spiritual pride. This is the main door by which the devil comes into the hearts of those who are zealous for the advancement of Christ. And this is true. 
that this is one of the dangers for those who are most passionate for Jesus, more zealous for Jesus. This is one of the greatest dangers for passionate people. It's again, they begin to focus on what others aren't doing and why others aren't living up to what I'm living up. It is a great danger. He goes on to say, it is the chief inlet of smoke from the bottomless pit to darken the mind and mislead the judgment. Pride is the main handle by which he has hold of Christian persons and the chief source of all the mischief that he introduces to clog and hinder a work of God. Spiritual pride is the main spring or at least the main support of all other errors. Until this disease is cured, medicines are applied in vain to heal all other diseases. It is by spiritual pride that the mind defends and justifies itself in other errors and defends itself against light by which it might be corrected and reclaimed. The spiritually proud man thinks he is full of light already and feels that he does not need instruction, so he is ready to ignore the offer of it. And here Jesus is trying to correct them. We see all through the Gospels, Jesus is trying to correct the Pharisees, and they don't want to hear it because they, they have it all together. They, they know what's right. They got the Bible memorized. They had, don't tell me what to do. Man, I'm a Pharisee. And, and that's the trap that we can fall into. Now, just like hypocrisy, I mean, obviously there are people who are more of a hypocrite and others who are less. Same with this. There are people who struggle more with spiritual pride and others who struggle with it less. But all of us do. And so just to kind of gauge where we're at today, we're going to do a little test, okay? See how we're doing, and uh, here's a little spiritual pride test. And so here's at work. If you answer yes to the question, you get a point. If you answer no, you get a zero. So just keep track of how many points you get. You can do it in your head or you know, on your hand or whatever it might be, okay? <clears throat> Number one, do you long for, expect, or demand a lot of attention? I.e. fame, fortune, glory, followers, you love attention. Yes or no? So yes, a point, no, zero. Uh, do you become critical or jealous of people who succeed, i.e. other Christians or ministries? If someone is like, you know, they seem to be worshiping better than you are, or they're being blessed more than you are, do you get jealous when you're like, why aren't you blessing me, and why are you blessing them? Uh, number three, do you always have to win, i.e. conversations or theological debates that so you need to make sure you get the last word in because you really know what's going on? Uh, number four, do you have a pattern of lying? Number five, do you have a hard time acknowledging that you're wrong or have difficulty asking for forgiveness? So you mess up or someone says you mess up, but you're going to do whatever it takes to make sure you make an excuse to make sure that you don't have to ask for forgiveness or say sorry. And number seven, do you expect the best spot or cut in line or ahead of others at the store, the highway, or whatever it might be, because after all, you're so important, and my time is so important, why are you driving so slow? You know, or whatever it might be. <clears throat> I guess we all get a point by the laughter on that one, <laughs> maybe. Uh, number eight, uh, do you get upset when people don't honor your achievements? Or do you insist, expect to be called pastor, deacon, bishop, prophet, apostle, leader, boss, or whatever it might be because you are such an important person that you better make sure that you call me by the right title? Uh, number nine, do you tend more to an attitude of entitlement or thankfulness? Uh, number 10, do you honestly think you're a good person and superior to others? And uh, the way Rhonda Collins scores this test is pretty simple. If you get anywhere between 1 and 10, uh, <laughs> you have an issue with pride. If you score 0, 
you have an extreme issue with pride <laughs> and are probably a Pharisee, okay? <laughs> That's one of the traits of the Pharisee. They're blind. They're, they're, they just can't see it because they, they just actually really believe they are better and more impressive and they really have the Bible known better than anyone else and it's kind of what they, they feel. Okay, so into our text here as Jesus talks about this. He says of the Pharisees in verse 5, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. Everything they do is for people to see. Again, because someone who has truly a heart for God is someone who gets their life and identity from God. All of our life and identity is to come from Jesus. But a Pharisee, they get their life from their rules and they get their life from feeling superior to others. And therefore, to make sure their identity is full, to make sure that they have a fullness of life, they need to always make sure they're doing stuff in front of other people because that's where they get their life from is when people go, wow, you're impressive. Wow, look at how spiritual you are. Look at how much you read your Bible. That's where they get their life from. And so they need to constantly be talking about what they're doing and showing others and, and doing things in front of others instead of in private. And, and they're just because that's where they get their, their life from. And that was these Pharisees. This, of course, reminds us of what Jesus talked about earlier in Matthew when he said, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. And so we need to be careful about doing things in front of others if our motive is, I want to look impressive. But Jesus also said, let your light shine and, and don't hide it under, you know, a basket that we are to let our light. There is a, a place for us to let our righteousness shine. But if our motive is to show off or to, to you know, fulfill our identity when we should be getting it from Jesus, then we've got to be careful. And of kind of works like this a lot of times. When you're tempted to hide, you show. When you're tempted to show, you hide, Okay. <laughs> he goes, if you do, you'll have no reward uh, from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites, talking about the Pharisees, do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. In other words, I'm giving to the poor. Everybody look here. Everybody look here. Their trumpet, right? Look how impressive I am. I'm so much better than all of you. As you throw in your two bucks or whatever, right? Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love standing to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to, by, to be seen by others. In other words, they pray the loudest. They, they just make sure that everybody knows how wonderful they are because that's where they're getting their life from. And we all struggle with this in some ways. I mean, we're always tempted to say, I hope someone sees this. I hope just someone sees, you know, what I've done here because we, we just are tempted to get our life, our identity from what others think of us rather than from what God thinks of us through Jesus. Now, he talks here about these phylacteries being wide and tassels. Now, what are those? Phylacteries are little boxes that the Jews, and they still do today. Here's a picture of a Jewish soldier with a little box on his head, you see, and one on his arm, though it's tied all the way down his hand. And uh, they wear these things because of Deuteronomy chapter 11, which says, 
Fix these words of mine into your mind and being and tie them as a reminder on your hands and let them be symbols on your forehead. So they take this literally. They actually literally tie a box on their head and one on their arm, but it's tied down to their hand, so it's on their hand. And they use that as a reminder of the Word of God. Now, nothing wrong with that. I mean, we as Christians have symbols that we use to remind us of God and what Jesus have, has done. Nothing wrong with that, though I'm, probably he meant that as symbolic. But, but the issue here was they were making them bigger than others, right? They make their phylacteries wide. So they have, some guys had a bigger box on their head because look how much more I love God, right? My box is so big, I can't even see where I'm going. I'm so much more impressive than you, right? In fact, in some of the early Jewish literature, they actually had to make rules around the sizes of the boxes because this was getting out of hand, that the people just really wanted to look more impressive, wanted to feel superior to other people, and so they would just make a little bit bigger box. You know, I spent more money on my box. I spent more time on my box. My box is bigger. I'm better than you. Or their gar- the tassels, and they make the tassels on their garments long. In Deuteronomy 22, it says, make tassels on the four corners of the cloak you wear. Number 15, you will have these tassels to look at, and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord. And so these tassels on their garments was a command by, of God in the Old Testament. Now, we're not, no longer under the Old Covenant, so we don't have tassels today. But uh, Jesus would have had tassels on his garments. Again, nothing wrong with tassels, nothing wrong with boxes, but they were making their tassels longer than others. Man, look at how long my tassels are. I spent more money on the thread than you. Uh, my tassels are big, and then mine touched the ground, or whatever it might be, right? And, and, and just, they were trying to look better, more impressive, more spiritual. Because again, they were getting their life, and not from God, but from what others thought of them. And so, they kept making their tassels longer and longer and longer. And, and we kind of could do similar things today. I mean, we have symbols today. We don't have tassels or boxes, but we have a cross, for instance. Right? A lot of us maybe wear them on a little necklace, or we might have a little tattoo, or whatever it might be. But imagine if we just started like, you know, look at how big my cross is. And I love God so much more than you, right? Or, you know, instead of a little tattoo, you just got one right on your face. And it's like, look at how bold I am for Jesus. What are you? I mean chicken, right? <laughs> this is kind of what we can fall into. It could be more subtle. I mean, it could be our Bibles, but all of a sudden, you know, you start bringing a bigger Bible to church. You know, my Bible's this big. And then, you, keep, you know, pretty soon we're like carting them in on little trolleys because we're trying to look more spiritual or look at how I dress better than everyone else or, you know, whatever it might be. Now, we might do, not do that physically today, but we often kind of think that. You know, look at how much I'm serving. I'm serving here and there, and this person, they don't seem to be doing anything. Do you know that? No, but I just assume they're not doing anything. Or, you know, like, I, look, at, I, I read my Bible and pray every morning. I don't think other people do that. I'm, I'm so much more impressive. If everybody were just more, more like me, this church would be awesome, right? We, we do this. We just, we want to feel superior, and that's just wrong. We need to make sure that our identity is from Jesus, that I am right in the eyes of God because of Jesus and Jesus alone, not because I'm impressive, not because I do a whole bunch or don't do a whole bunch. It's because of Jesus. And when you are firm in your identity in God, you don't have to worry so much about what other people think. You're not worried, you know, look at how much I'm serving. Why isn't that person serving? You're just like, I'm just looking at Jesus. I'm going for Jesus. And I want others to come along, but I'm just inviting them. I'm not pushing them back. 
And this is what we're called to do. So they would do everything for show. Big boxes, long tassels. And then it goes on. It says, they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. And so just like today's church, we have the most important seats, which is always the back row, right? And uh, they had real important seats back then. It was the Pharisees would take them all, right? Because after all, we deserve the best seats in the house. They would also love the place of honor at banquets, and uh, their banquets were a little different. They actually kind of, you know, actually kind of leaned over while they eat. It was kind of weird, eh? Didn't sit on chairs. It looks pretty uncomfortable, but uh, they had these little U-shaped tables, and they would lie down, and the, the host would always sit right in the center here, and then the honored guests would sit on each side of the host, and guests who would just automatically take those spots? Pharisees, because after all, we work the hardest for God. We do the rules more than anybody else and everybody else. We are the most spiritual ones, so we deserve the best seats in the house or the best parking spot at church or whatever it might be, right? Jesus, talking about this, gave a little parable. He said, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, at the head of the table on each side of the host, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host will invited both of you. Uh, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, "Give this person your seat." Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important seat. And so that's how it's went: most important down to the least important. So if you were least important, you were very far from the host, right? But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And this is one of the points that Jesus makes here in this text. And we'll see this, that, that if you exalt yourself over others or exalt yourself in feeling superior, in the end, you're going to be humbled. And that's not always a, a fun thing to go through. So Jesus goes on, says, They also love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and be called rabbi by others. And a rabbi was kind of an honorary title for someone who had theological training, kind of like a reverend or maybe a pastor today. But you're not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father. Uh, the father was... Just a title of respect. And so someone who is very uh, dignified in the culture, you would, you would just call them father, right? We might, like sir today, we might say sir. For you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, or other translations have master or teacher. For you have one instructor, master, or teacher, the Messiah. Now, most people agree that Jesus is not saying here that we can never use these kind of titles, that we should never use reverend or pastor or doctor or, you know, instructor or teacher or, uh, you know, rabbi if you're a Jew or whatever. It, most people don't think he's saying that. But what he is saying is two things. One, we need to be very careful if we use those titles to feel superior over others. And so if I demand that you call me pastor or reverend or whatever it might be, your old holy one or father, <laughs> please don't do that. But uh, uh, if I demand, because after I'm better than you, you got to call me by my title, right? So we need to be careful if we demand titles or if we use titles 
to make someone more exalted than everybody else, right? So, you know, I'm just a little peon. I don't do anything good, but you, almighty oh master, you know, you're amazing. And because Jesus' point here is this. Number one, you are all brothers. We're all brothers and sisters. There's no, like, father here, no master instructor, no master pastor reverend, you know. We're all brothers and sisters, that all of us at the foot of the cross were equal. Now, God has given different spiritual gifts. He has given gifts of leadership. He's given gifts of pastor or instructor or a teacher. He has gifted some people to be able to become a doctor or a lawyer or, uh, you know, these, these, these kind of jobs. Those, those are okay. But if we ever begin to use those titles to feel better than others or demand those titles or we use those titles to make them feel more exalted and us feel smaller, hey, we're all brothers and sisters. There's only one teacher, one master, one instructor, one father, one Messiah. It's kind of like we're, we're all in a hospital together, and all of us are patients. And there's only one doctor in the hospital. His name is Jesus. Now, some of us have been in the hospital a little longer, so we can say, hey, I know, I know where the washrooms are, and hey, I know, I know where the cafeteria is, and I know how to sneak the best coffee or whatever, right? I mean, some of us have been in the hospital longer, but we're all patients, we're all brothers and sisters, and so we need to make sure that we don't allow a human to take place of God in our lives. And sometimes we do that when we find, like, you know, some Christian teacher who's just amazing. It's almost like we treat them like God, like everything he says is perfect, you know. He never makes a mistake, and hey, we all can make mistakes. And so the only person that we really want to exalt is Jesus, Okay. And then he sums this up and says, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so the path to greatness in the Pharisee's mind was, I'm going to do all the rules so that I feel superior, and I get my identity from looking down at others, and this is where it's all about. And Jesus says, actually, it's kind of backwards. If you want to be great in the eyes of God, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Become a servant. Both James and Peter put it this way. God opposes the proud, but gives grace, or some translations have favor, to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace and favor to the humble. That this text means that if you struggle with pride, that wherever that pride is in our lives, that we're actually not just like sinning, we're actually opposing God. Fighting God. God opposes the proud. This, this is a word of action that God is not just saying, well, you're proud sometimes and that's, you know, maybe we'll work on that. God is actually opposing us in our pride. That's working against us. That's not a good thing. Now the God of the universe working against something in our life. And he does that because he's trying to, trying to humble us, trying to get that out of our lives so that we would love people and love him in greater ways. I mean, pride is the one thing that causes God to fight against us. And for that reason, man, we need to, to work it out of our lives. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity put it this way. Pride, for pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. And man, when you're stuck in your pride, you, you tend to lose all common sense, like the Pharisees. You're blind, you're hypocrites, Jesus. You've lost all common sense. C.S. Lewis goes on and says this, if you want to find out how proud you are, 
the easiest way is to ask yourself, how much do I dislike it when other people snub me or refuse to take any notice of me or shove in their oar or patronize me or show off? The point is that each person's pride is in competition with everyone else's pride. This is a really important point. The point is that each person's pride is in competition with everyone else's pride. It is because, because I wanted to be the big nose at the party that I'm so annoyed at someone else being the big nose. Two big noise. <laughs> noise. <laughs> no big nose, whatever. It's all the same thing. <laughs> Two of a trade never agree. Uh, now, what you want to get clear is that pride is essentially competitive. Uh, is competitive by its very nature, while the other vices are competitive only, so to speak, by accident. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. That pride, he says, is competitive. And, you know, I, when I was reading this, I was like, you know, cause sometimes I kind of think I'm a humble person because I was like, you know, I get really ticked off when people are really pride, have a lot of pride. It really bothers me. <laughs> I was like, I know why now. Because I want to be the, the, the person in charge. When someone else is like, comes in with pride, you got to do it my way. It's because I get mad at them because I wanted to do it my way, right? It's competitive. I mean, your pride is competing about every el everyone else's pride. And, and if you're trying to be the most impressive person here, it's going to tick off those who are also trying to be more impressive. And then pretty soon we're going to end up with bigger boxes and longer tassels and, you know, trying to get our identity from looking impressive when we've got to humble ourselves. And again, the answer to all of this is we have to be really settled in to the identity that God has given us. You need to be concerned about what God thinks, not what man is thinking. That you are forgiven in Jesus. That He has washed you clean. That He has washed your guilt and shame away. That you are righteous in God's eyes and pleasing in His sight. And the more that settles in you, the less you have to please people. Or show off to people. Or toot your horn because you realize, man, I, I'm already so pleasing to God. That's what's important. Not necessarily that I please that person or that person or compete with that person. And you know what this does? When you have your identity settled in who you are in God's eyes, it totally sets you free to love. Because you know what gets in the way of our love? It's our pride. And the more we lessen our pride, the more we are free to love, the more we are free to love God because I don't really care as much about what other people think. I'm more free to love other people because I'm free to do bold things and courageous things. And, and, and I think this is what God is just continually asking us. We know who we are in Jesus. And uh, I guess that's all I had to say, so let's pray. <laughs> uh, God, we thank you that you are good. And God, we are thankful for forgiveness God, we are thankful that you have made us righteous in your eyes, and God, we thank you that you smile upon us, and you rejoice over us. God, and I pray you would help us to settle who we are in you, that our identity would come from you, that our life would come from you, that you would help us to fix our eyes on your son, Jesus, not so much on the rules, not so much on right and wrong, not so much on, on what other people are doing or not doing or should be doing, that we just fix our eyes on you. And God, our love would go towards you. And God, we pray that you would help all of us as we struggle with different areas of pride, 
first of all, to recognize that. God, that you'd open our eyes, that you would wash away any blindness we have. And God, that then your healing presence would come into our hearts. God, that you would heal our desire to want to be better than others because we're already awesome in you. God, that you would heal our desire to, to serve more than others, to be more impressive than others because, God, you are already impressed with us through your son, Jesus. And so, God, I pray you keep our, our eyes fixed on you. I pray, God, that you would help us to be a light that shines. In Jesus' name, amen.